Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Sierra Vista, the official podcast of the city of Sierra Vista. I'm your host, Public Information Officer Adam Curtis, and today we're joined by Sierra Vista Fire and Medical Services Chief Brian Jones as we discuss an exciting new project now under construction. Residents passing by the northeast corner of 7th Street and Buffalo Soldier Trail may have noticed construction of a new emergency medical services substation get underway in September. Funded in part by a Defense Community Infrastructure Program grant of more than $1.4 million from the Department of Defense Office of Economic Adjustment, the substation will aid EMS efforts on Fort Huachuca, improve response for many military families living off-post, and benefit the community at large. Chief Jones will share why the substation is needed and what residents can expect once this exciting project wraps up in spring of next year. We will also discuss how his department cultivates leaders from within, why it's an extraordinary place to start a career in fire and medical services, and we'll share some fire safety tips to keep in mind this holiday season. Plus, we'll remind folks to get ready for the department's annual Christmas toy drive. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. So a big component of the funding for this new EMS substation that's now under construction uh, is tied to how it will benefit Fort Huachuca. And many folks may not really be aware uh, that Sierra Vista Fire and Medical Services already provides Fort Huachuca with EMS service uh, through a first-of-its-kind agreement uh, that was actually started back in 2017. Uh, Can you refresh our memory a little bit on how that got started and also share on how it's been going? Yeah, in 2017, the city was awarded the contract to provide medical services on Fort Huachuca. And how that is comprised now is we sub- we have an ambulance on the f- fire station on Irwin for 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And the Black Tower station, which is West Fort Huachuca, we supply an ambulance there Monday through Friday, 24 hours a day. It's a great program. The pro- the the program is going really good. Mm-hmm. The contract is going really good. I think greater than the EMS service that we provide up there is the relationship that we have formed with Fort Huachuca, specifically the Fort Huachuca Fire Department. Mm-hmm. We now train with them. Uh, we use their training center along with uh, the Fry Fire District, Palominas, Whetstone. And what's important about that is if there's a major incident in our town, everybody's going to be there. And it's important for us to be on the same sheet of music and being able to train together and use that facility. This intergovernmental agreement has really enhanced that for us. So it's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And this intergovernmental services agreement uh, also helps the post save money. I think that was kind of a driving force behind it. So it's just the city kind of being a good partner, kind of helping them uh, operate efficiently. Yeah, it's a contract. Yeah, it's a contractual agreement that we have with them that we provide the medical service to them at a cost. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And then, so this new substation um, will enhance our ability to support the post a little bit. And there's also a lot of uh, soldiers and families living living off post. So that was all kind of a factor in how we got funding for this new substation. Um, How will this facility kind of enhance uh, how we serve military families in Fort Huachuca? I think the greatest way it'll support the families is by being able to get to their emergency in a faster way. Mm -hmm. Uh, This station really is uh, allowed us to encircle the entire city with fire stations. Mm -hmm. And and the location at BST and 7th is the prime location for any incidents that could occur on Fort Huachuca as well. It gives us direct access to them. So the greatest way this will be of support for the families is reduce response times to area of town when there is an emergency that one of those families has. Absolutely. And 
just just like it will do that for them, uh, also the broader community will benefit as well. So talk a little bit about how it will improve response times and why this particular area uh, really will benefit from that. Yeah, no, our current locations of stations, we have one on Fry Boulevard. We have our major station, admin station down on Julio Cesar, and then our third station on Avenida Cochise. The station four at BST and 7th now really gives us a square. Mm-hmm. And what that does for response times is allows us to have better coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we really want to be to a scene within four to six minutes. You know, four to six minutes for a medical emergency is time is tissue. Mm-hmm. And four to six minutes for a fire emergency really is we want to get that fire in the incipient phase, mm-hmm. which will allow us to mitigate it faster. So it's a wonderful, th- this really uh, encompasses providing overall city coverage better. Absolutely. Um, and so so folks understand what will be at this facility. Uh, it'll be called Fire Station 4, I believe, but it'll basically be an EMS station. Yeah, um, it's going to be a, a, an EMS substation that is initially going to house an ambulance mm-hmm. uh, with paramedics. Uh, and we're going to get to it, I think, in a little bit. But man, we 90% of what we do is medical. And so being able to get to a scene in an expedient amount of time uh, with an ambulance is crucial. Mm-hmm. And what's another benefit of this, these five Fire, firefighter will be on these ambulances, firefighters who are dual trained. So if there is a fire scene, they can also respond to that and get the ball rolling while the big trucks are on their way. Absolutely. Um, and so what is it going to look like? This is in a neighborhood. This is kind of, you know, uh, has, has folks living nearby. Obviously, Tompkins Park is right across the street. Uh, so did you guys take the, some of that in consideration as you were planning the, the look at the facility? Absolutely. Uh, the people can expect a station that fits in with the local neighborhood. Our, com- our committee with the city, along with the development architect, met multiple times to ensure that it would be that would meld right into the neighborhood. So it's right. going to fit in. It's going to be it's going to be an added addition, a, a, a positive for sure. Awesome. So look, um, you know, not just like a fire station, kind of look a little bit more homier. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, more yeah. residentially yeah. than it's not a still building. You know, yeah. it's going to it's really going to fit in. It's going to be a really good added addition. Nice. Um, and then uh, I know I think I got an email or something, but I know one person was a little worried about noise and those kind of issues with ambulances coming in and out. Um, how do you guys work those issues? Yeah, that, that's always a concern with any fire station that we have. And noise is a big issue. You know, what we do is uh, we don't use our sirens unless they're necessary to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we get calls 24 hours a day. So at two o'clock in the morning, the siren's not going to be going off. The main reason we use the siren is to alert traffic that we are coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Golf Links is a somewhat, excuse me, seven Street is a somewhat busy road during those peak hour times, which we call eight to eight. Mm-hmm. So our sirens will probably be running that time. Uh, but when when they're not necessary, we don't use them. Gotcha. So at like two in the morning, people aren't going to be hearing an ambulance yeah. sirens yeah, they're not, in their neighborhood. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to be hearing. They're not going to be hearing our sirens. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Sounds good. Um, and yeah, you had mentioned a little bit a bit, little bit already, but talk about how call volume has been trending. Um, I, I, I know you guys have just been real busy lately, um, but broadly speaking, I know medical comprises just a, a huge majority of what you do. Yeah, it really does. You know, in 2020, ninety-one uh, percent of our calls were medical, and nine percent in the prior years. It's anywhere between five and 10%. You know, looking back on 2019, uh, we, we were, we responded to 7,719 uh, incidents in 2020. It was 8,025 to date. Uh, we are at 6,500, which puts us, puts us at about 8,300 to maybe 8,500 by the end of the year. So we are gradually seeing an increase in calls and, uh, the majority of them are medical calls. 
Absolutely. Um, I mean, years and years ago, how many calls did you guys get? I mean, I've, I've talked to some guys over the years and it's just, I know it's so much different than it used to be. Okay. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. I think about that a lot as I get closer to being gone, you mm -hmm. know, and I think initially when I started, we were running 3,500 calls a year and that was a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were doing the same thing with the ambulances and the fire trucks. And I'm not sure what, what has caused the increase. Population, of course, has caused some of it, mm -hmm. uh, but people, utilize the fire department as emergency medical services and we treat and transport them to the hospital. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the, one of the ways you've kind of adapted is to actually get a fire engine that does more than just fight fires. It's also a patient transport engine. Is that right? Yeah, it is awesome. I think it's one of two in the entire state. It is called a patient transport engine. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is a fire truck with an ambulance body on it, mm -hmm. meaning it has the transport capability. It still has all the available fire equipment, but essentially it has an ambulance box in the back of it that has a gurney and all the medical supplies that'll allow it to transport uh, patients to the hospital. It's really critical for us because we do utilize that engine over at, uh, at the Julio Cesar station by the hospital. Mm -hmm. And what's good about that is we have a fire truck there and an ambulance there in one. Mm -hmm. We can transport to the hospital and still be in our area. Right. and still have fire coverage and medical coverage available in that area. It's huge. It's a game changer for us. And it also uh, allows us to move our personnel around. Mm -hmm. When we had a fire truck and an ambulance there, we needed five bodies there. Right. Now that we just have the patient transport engine, we need three bodies there. And wow. we can utilize our staff elsewhere to, to the benefit. Awesome. Yeah. So you guys really have to find find ways to adapt to, to the times and just new ways to do stuff, I guess. I guess the whole industry is doing that all the time. Yeah, it, it is. And we 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 have state of the art equipment. Uh, we have some top notch individuals who research all the time to make sure we do stay on the top of the, the leading edge of medicine in order to provide the best possible service for our customers. Mm -hmm. You know, COVID was one of those things that really uh, really made us reevaluate how we did things mm -hmm. and in a good way. Uh, so we do things differently operationally to ensure that we are providing the best service by instead of sending three people into a house right away, we just send one person in. Mm -hmm. And what that does is allows for patient comfort as well as patient safety, as well as not exposing everybody to potentially things that we, we don't want to be exposed to. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And as we talk about adaptations and kind of planning for the future, um, obviously, you, you're always kind of managing your succession plan and, you know, kind of cultivating leaders from within. Um, but you recently celebrated the retirement of Paul Samino after basically 40 years uh, with the organization. Uh, he retired as the longest tenured city employee, which is really awesome. And Paul is just an institution, basically, and he's just such a great guy. Um, so Paul had been fire marshal for many years. Um, and obviously, was just kind of served an integral role in, in your department. Um, what is it like to have a retirement like that? And, and how do you um, kind of ensure that, you know, there, there's folks ready to go to kind of uh, fill, fill in those shoes? Well, quite honestly, you can't prepare for something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Paul, as I have said many times, for sure, is our, on one of our Mount Rushmore people, for mm -hmm. sure. He's been that much of an impact on our organization. Uh, what we did, though, about three years ago, he was stationed at Station One. I moved him over to Station Three because I wanted to be able to garner as much of that institutional knowledge as we could from him mm -hmm. in order to 
not skip a beat because we absolutely have skipped a beat with him losing, leaving. Uh, But we do have an interim in there right now who's learning every day. And we all have Paul on speed dial. And if (laughs) if we need to gather some information that he knows just right off the top of the head, we still use him for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Paul was such a he served such a great role also with planning and and the local business community and and just working with folks. And he was, you know, it's not always nice or, or easy to tell folks, hey, you need to do this to meet code. But but Paul would do it in such a friendly way. Um, and you know, it's, it's hard to replace a personality like that too. Yeah. Um, but I've always been impressed with, with that culture in your organization of just, just having, having folks that exhibit those kind of leadership qualities and, uh, compete for, for these jobs too. Um, so, you know, as you look forward, uh, you're currently hiring folks, EMT firefighters. I, I think you're kind of always kind of planning for the future and recruitment. Um, talk a little bit about how you, um, you know, try to try to fill in folks, um, and then why it's such a good opportunity for folks trying to get into the career because um, from afar it looks like a really good place to you know get good training um, I think uh, I don't know if it's if it was the previous chief's policy Ron York um, but it's something I've heard multiple chiefs say is um, I believe it's uh, hire the heart uh, train the hands something to that effect um, basically you're looking for people with good character um, and they can come and kind of grow in your organization yeah our organization is about a person who has a servant's heart yeah and you're right. We can train anybody to do anything. But if you don't have the right mindset, it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if people are interested, the best way to get started is maybe just to swing by a fire station and talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, fortunately for us, we have an awesome relationship with Cochise College and all the training that you need to be to start that career is done through them. Mm-hmm. The EMT program, the firefighter one and two program are all taught through Cochise. Our instructors, along with the Fry Fire District employers, we teach the class, mm-hmm. you know, so we get a good eye. We get a good eye on you. You get a good eye on us and you get to see how our organizations operate. And maybe you want to be a part of that. In addition, with the with the addition of our EMS uh, division, mm-hmm. We also are now just hiring medical professionals. And what a great way to really see if this is something you want to do. I can remember back when I taught the EMT class back in the early 2000s is, you know, you have a student, an A student, and they ace every test. They do everything really well. They go on one scene and see blood in real life and it's not for them. Right. And that's right. reality. Mm-hmm. It's reality of it, you know, and most people don't see that side of what we do. They mm-hmm. see us uh, out and about doing public education or providing EMS at a football game. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't use our service, but that's what we deal with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to cope with it. And one of the big things we are doing now to ensure that our personnel from now and future, we are really big into mental health mm-hmm. and we have a peer support team that were uh, that is made up of members of our organization voted on by members of our organization for people to uh, talk to if something's going on for a scene and i think that's one of the good things about an organization that i call us a, a big small department mm-hmm. we're a, a a small department in the grand scheme of things but we're a big department in cochise county we're the biggest department in cochise county and we really are engaged with each other uh, at work and at home to ensure that we have a help, happy and healthy careers. 
Awesome. Yeah, I think um, we progress so much in our in our culture in terms of talking about mental health um, and also uh, in fire and medical services in terms of, you know, cancer preve- prevention, just some some of the kind of uh, ways to deal with equipment, deal with scenes um, to kind of prevent the physical physical issues as well. Um, but yeah, talk a little bit about um, kind of wh- how, how that has changed over time to just make the profession a little bit more safety conscious. Yeah. yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little ashamed to say that 15 years ago, I would sleep in my turnout gear, Yeah, yeah. you know, just because we wanted to be able to be ready. Uh, and now we don't let turnout gear in our in our stations at all right. uh, because we want to have a clean atmosphere. We have exhaust systems on our fire trucks to try to get rid of all that stuff. We uh, make sure that our stations are clean. We clean, we clean, we clean. That's what we do uh, because some of the some of the things we come in contact with covid excluded mm-hmm. are, are pretty bad. Uh, and back to the turnout gear, we decon decon. You come out of a fire instead of going back to the station with your messy turnout gear, we clean you off on scene. We have a backup set of turnout gear. So when you get done with that set, you wash it, get your backup gear. Cause you're still off gassing days mm-hmm. after the fire. Uh, and so those are some of the major things that we have done. And physical fitness is a big part of that as well. We, we, we require our folks to 90 minute workout every day because you need to be in shape in order to do this job. Mm-hmm. You know, I did say 9% of what we do is fire related, but not every medical call is going to take somebody's temperature. Right. You know, right. you really are with somebody for a prolonged amount of time and uh, doing CPR on somebody for multiple minutes is not an easy thing to do. Lifting somebody from a, a precarious position is something we do on a daily basis. So being agile, being flexible, being mobile, being strong is something that is really important for our folks. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool to be in a profession where like you're not only serving the community and watching out for other people's health, but you're you're physically active yourself. You're always doing stuff, even when there's not many calls or whatever. You're always training. You're always staying active. Um, so for folks that like to do that, uh, it might be a, a kind of good fit for them, I would imagine. Yeah, well, uh, last year we had well over fifteen thousand hours of training, wow. and I stopped. It, it's probably it, where it stopped was at twelve thousand because that's the minimum amount that we our guys have to meet. Mm-hmm. But we go above and beyond. They're tra- we're, we're training every day. And we're not training on somebody who has chest pain because we deal that with that every day. We're mm-hmm. training on, man, if there was a fire in a house in this situation, what do we need to do? How do we need to, to uh, deploy our hoses? How do we need to vent? How do we need to make sure that we have a safe zone? All those different things to include ICS, Incident Command System, which is imperative uh, for something. We say the first five minutes is really sets a tone for the next five hours. And uh, with that, a command system is important. And what we're really working hard with, and we're doing a great job uh, with our police department is having a command center where we're together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because uh, we, although we do different things, we're doing the same things. We're trying to mitigate in the scene. If we have a firefighter and a, excuse me, a battalion chief or whoever's in charge, Mm -hmm. a commander together, uh, we can mitigate the situation better because we know what each other's doing. Oh, absolutely. Um, so obviously, uh, Paul Samino was known for being the fire marshal in the community, but he also ran a really long-standing, awesome thing you guys do, which is the uh, the Christmas toy drive. Um, he, he had been involved as a volunteer back when he started with the with the department. 
30 plus years ago. Uh, so the dry has been going on 40 plus years, I believe. This is the 50th year. 50th year. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's that's a big milestone, yep. actually. I didn't even realize that was coming yeah. up. That's so cool. Yep. Um, so, yeah, talk a little bit about that. Um, share, you know, uh, just a little bit about what's going to be going on. Just uh, some new folks taking on the reins probably and, and keeping on doing what you guys do so well. Yeah, well, once again, Paul is sorely going to be missed, and I can I can venture to say that he's probably come out and help, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Don Foster and Michelle Canolda will be taking over the program. Michelle is our public education coordinator, mm-hmm. and we really uh, allow her to coordinate all those things. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's the Christmas the Christmas drive is a very rewarding thing for us. And I say this all the time, our community, this community of Sierra Vista, the greater Sierra Vista area is the most giving community I've ever been involved with. Uh, We help over 250 families, 500 kids, yearly. Yeah. And we, and we never, we never do without, or they never do without. And I, I would hope that if you've not experienced for yourself, uh, those people would come out on delivery day and just see the joy in someone's face, a child's face for receiving a gift that, that they otherwise would not receive. Mm-hmm. And it really, uh, really humbles you and shows you how grateful and how gracious we all should be for what we currently have. Yeah, I actually uh, was able to follow along on some of those deliveries back when I worked for the Sierra Vista Herald as a reporter. Um, and something you also see, you see the obviously the joy and just uh, the, the kids are just so excited to tear into the presence and, and that kind of stuff. But you also see the look of relief on the parents face um, just because, I mean, if you're if you're having a tough year or a tough time, it's just one less thing you have to worry about. I mean, you really want to make Christmas special for your kids. Um, and if you're struggling to do that, um, that's a big burden as a parent. I would have to imagine. Yeah, and, and some of the re- some of the rewarding things as well is we've had families who we have helped in the past who now come and help. Oh, wow. Because they cool. understand, uh, you know, giving is just as good as receiving, mm-hmm. and they've received the help, so they're passing it on as well. That's really cool. So there'll be more news on on this year's uh, Christmas toy drive in November and uh, going into December, obviously. So stay tuned for that. Um, uh, folks will be able to donate um, kind of new toys uh, to be given out to different age groups. I forget the exact age breakdown, but uh, it covers kind of a wide gamut from very young into like early teens. I believe. Yeah, it goes yeah. from zero to 12, yeah, yeah, zero yeah. to 12. And yeah, new unwrapped toys mm-hmm. are great. And money is always really good mm-hmm. uh, because we can go and buy the things that we have a hard time uh, receiving. Right. Absolutely. Um, so with the holidays coming up and temperatures cooling down, I just wanted to wrap up uh, with covering some just just common safety tips uh, to remind folks as we go into the winter, um, you know, particularly with fire danger and, and home safety. Uh, what are some of the common things people should look out for? Well, Thanksgiving is the peak day for home cooking fires. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, followed by Christmas Day. Yeah. So stay in the kitchen when you're cooking on the stovetop so you can keep an eye on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Stay in the home when cooking your turkey. Mm-hmm. And if you're cooking, if you're boiling a turkey, let's do it outside, not under a porch. Let's do it outside away from everything because uh, sometimes they get a little bit out of hand. Make sure that you keep children away from the stove. Uh, and on Halloween, Halloween's coming up too. It's a big holiday. Uh, really be vigilant when you're driving on Halloween night because kids are out and about. And I think we're going to have more kids out and about this year. And when Christmas comes, 
buy a good Christmas tree, make sure you keep it watered. If you have an extension cord, make sure your extension cords are intact. Mm -hmm. Don't overburden uh, an extension outlets Mm -hmm. uh, because that's a big cause of fire. And just keep your areas clean. You know, we can do that year round. You know, we talk about wildland fire dangers. It's a year long problem for us now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And with all the rain we've had, I know it's wet out there, but it does dry out quick. Mm -hmm. And so keep a good buffer zone between your house and everything that, that shouldn't be growing around and just keep your area clean and that will help prevent fires. Yeah, and with all that rain, I mean, that does grow up fuels. And and once they dry out, uh, it can actually make for a worse uh, fire situation ultimately. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Yeah, the, 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 the rain was wonderful, mm-hmm. but the aftermath of it, you know, so we need to make sure we have a good clearance between our house and our landscaping for sure. Absolutely. And then folks can also obviously get their HVAC systems checked out, but particularly the, the heating systems as as you're turning those on for the winter. It's it's always a good idea to get them. Yeah, changed. it's a good yeah. idea to get them changed. It's a good idea to change your filters every three yeah. months. If you if you have one, uh, call, call an agency to come out and check it out because, yeah, we've got a lot of dust here. We've got a lot of particles that can get in that systems that could cause some problems. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your day to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you for enjoying another episode of Let's Talk Sierra Vista. As always, you're invited to join the conversation by sending your comments, ideas, or questions to pod at sierravistaaz.gov. That's P-O-D at sierravistaaz.gov. Take care, everybody.